Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland, you live in you talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone. Live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. All right, here we go. Welcome to the show. After a week of, I won't even call it the best of, but after a rerun last week, we are back, ready to roll. I am Dan Scott, and it is very, very good to have you along with us for the uh, the next hour or so here on WZLA in Abbeville and, of course, on the uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. We've got a, a good one for you today. It's a, a very interesting week. For yours truly, and for uh, around the country, um, a lot of football programs because the FCS level is playing football in the spring. In fact, there have already been some games that were played over this past weekend, but by and large, the FCS spring season gets underway. Uh, this coming Saturday, and the Furman Paladins will be involved in that. We're going to talk about that a little bit here uh, coming up on the show. But uh, it, it's a very, very intriguing set of circumstances. Uh, there are about 30 FCS programs that have decided not to participate in the uh, spring football season, but uh, the vast majority of them are. There will be a playoff if everything goes according to plan. Uh, it'll be 16 teams this spring instead of 24, and then if things are back to some semblance of normal, we will go back to the regular football season beginning in the fall. But it's a confluence of events that is coming together. Uh, just for an example, on, on Furman's campus where I work, there are 18 sports now, counting football, that are all going on simultaneously with with basketball men's and women's winding down and everything else that was supposed to play in the fall, soccer, volleyball, etc., getting kicked off as well as football in the spring, plus the usual spring sports that are out there. So uh, with, with only four members of the sports information department uh, to cover all of that, those folks are going to be run ragged, but I can promise you Hunter Reed and his staff are up to it. And it's going to be like this at schools all across this country. Tom Van Hoy and I are going to talk about that during the first segment of the show. And then Dave Glenn will be with us, as always, in the second segment uh, of our get-together today. Just a quick reminder, the podcast version is brought to you by our friends at Tadaro Pizza. 
T-O-D-A-R-O-Pizza.com is the website. You can find out much more about what they're doing there, the operating hours. But I can tell you, at the Markley Street location, they are doing indoor dining. John and his folks there have gone above and beyond to make sure that they have a safe environment inside for you to enjoy that bucket list pizza we talk about. And the Clemson location is open for takeout and delivery. Our thanks to Todaro Pizza for continuing to be the title sponsor of the podcast version of what we are doing here. All right, to break we go. Tom will join us on the other side. We're just getting kicked off on this Monday. Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters returns in just a moment. It is good to be back live, so to speak. How about uh, current? Because last week was a repeat uh, of a show. Had some things crop up that needed my attention. So we uh, replayed the uh, show from a couple of weeks prior that featured Ian Desmond of the Colorado Rockies and his uh, relationship with uh, Liberty native Ethan Brown. But we're back at it um, today current accurate well i guess the accurate part is to be determined but but we're current that it's it's monday and we're doing the show that we're supposed to do on monday isn't that right tom van hoy february 15th right dan i think that's uh, yeah we're here we're here <laughs> yeah not not at uh, always uh, not always uh, perhaps as um as uh what, what's the word i'm looking for as professional, maybe as we should be, but there we uh, go. That's uh, that's another story for another time. How are things in Van Hoyland? Good, you know, school's off today though, so <laughs> it's another juggling act. But other than that, pretty good. Yep, waiting for that sunshine. We could be, uh, it could be worse. We could be in a different part of the country where the high today is minus one, of the and the wind chill right now is minus twenty four in the Midwest. So hey. You got to put it in perspective, right? That's the Pittsburgh, Kansas weather forecast, correct? That's the weather forecast for today. There, and actually, I've I've done uh, baseball. Uh, they, they they try to play in the Midwest, as you and I well know, in the Northeast, and they well, that's why they come south to play, basically because of that. Because I've done games sitting behind home plate, ten feet away, more barking dogs dressed like Nanook of the North. So you know you'll t- you'll take a good day in the South with forty degrees. Right. <laughs> Well, if the weather holds, uh, and, and it's supposed to break here in the upstate uh, tomorrow, um, I'm actually going to get an opportunity to do some baseball tomorrow w- for our friend Landon Powell, uh, yeah. who, who is the head coach at North Greenville. For, I, I think most people know that Landon was a, uh, a rock star at the University of South Carolina, was voted one of the uh, top 50 players in the history of the College World Series uh, at one juncture in his career and, and went on to play for the Oakland Athletics and has the distinction of catching a perfect game that was tossed by Dallas Braden on uh, Mother's Day about, I guess this season will be 11 years ago. So uh, a pretty good baseball guy. And, and uh, they, they uh, uh, apparently got desperate, needed somebody to come and do a baseball game on Tuesday. So I get to do the doubleheader. By, and by the way, North Greenville, is a Division II power. They're ranked, mm-hmm. I think, fourth or fifth in the country right now. 
uh, as this season gets underway. So, Tom, in, in my long and I won't say illustrious career, um, I, I'm going to do something I've never done before, and, and I'm sure you have done this because you have called multiple sports, many more sports than I have. Mm-hmm. But th- this will be the first time in my career that I have called three different sports in one week. I'll do baseball on Tuesday. I'll do Furman basketball on Wednesday and then do the Furman football opener on Saturday. Yeah, it's quite the juggling act. You need to make sure you get that numerical roster for all three. You know? well, but, yeah, that's great. You know, like you and I have always talked before, like just uh, – more games, the better. You like to do them. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough over the years with uh, some success at, at certain levels to to be able to do three game or three different sports in, in one week. I, I was lucky uh, five times in, in my uh, uh, illustrious career. I've done uh, three games uh, same day, three different cities, two different sports, football, basketball, because of Division two playoffs. But for people that don't know, I mean, Atlanta Powell's done a heck of a job at, at, at North Greenville. I, for uh, four or five years, I broadcast the uh, Conference Carolinas uh, championship games uh, up in Burlington, North Carolina, and his teams were always outstanding. It's, 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 people may not realize it, but it's really good level of, of baseball, and he's done a heck of a job with his relationships to bring in players from Tennessee or division one powers and did for whatever reason didn't work out and been able to bring them into his program. And a couple of years ago when I did uh, one, of, one of the games, uh, they, they had one of the best teams that, that I've seen in a long time. I mean, I'm not just talking about division two, you know, may, maybe not at the highest levels, but they could compete with anybody. Yeah. And he, uh, on his coaching staff has another former Gamecock and another former major leaguer, John Kutlingus. So obviously they're, they're getting some high level instruction there. And, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, what that looks like It's a doubleheader with Newberry. And, um, I'm looking forward to it. They've, they've put a lot into the baseball facility at North yes. Greenville since Landon has been there. It, it's very nice. I think it's an all turf facility, mm-hmm. which comes in handy in the Northern part of Greenville County this time of year. And, uh, hey, man, it's baseball, right? It's about that time, you know, with the, the major leagues getting ready to report here in a couple of days. And, you know, I don't, did you see the story about Zach Grinke? Yeah, Zach Grinke when I guess, and I don't know, you probably know this, uh, but with the reporting dates of February 17th, February 18th for most in, in uh, Arizona and Florida, that, uh, I guess, is a suggested well, that's pitchers and catchers, but a couple of days later, everybody comes in. But I guess you really don't have to come in another 15 days. And Zach Grinke finally figured that out last year and said, man, I, it took me 15 years, but you don't have to report until a specific time. And that could be anywhere from 10, 15 days later than I guess when you're voluntarily supposed to be there. Yeah, and I, I had not seen that. I, I always thought that the reporting days that you got around this time in February were mandatory. Yeah, I did too. Reporting days, so yeah. Hey, hey learn you know, something new every day, man. Like yeah. it's coming here. It's a, here. It is yeah. curveball. You ready? Yeah, Gr- <laughs> Grinky's a different cat to be, to be yeah, sure. He is. He, he is, man. He, he certainly is. Hey, um, this is episode twenty-six of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast, Dan Scott Show on WZLA in Abbeville and Greenwood and, and points all around uh, that area. We're so appreciative of uh, the Godfather giving us an opportunity to do this once a week, and uh, we hope that you uh, will continue to support the station, support the show, support the podcast, and uh, we'll tell you how you can do some of that a little bit later on. 
Tom, let's talk about uh, the unprecedented nature of, of what we're going to see this weekend. I mean, spring football in and of itself is not unprecedented. We have had all kinds of professional spring football leagues pop up over the years. But this is the, the first time that there's going to be a, a dedicated, relatively widespread college spring football league or football season because, of course, COVID and, and the FCS level pretty much in mass deciding to move the season to the spring. The Southern Conference kicks off on Saturday. They're going to play an eight-game conference schedule. At least most of the teams are. That's another story for maybe another time. Uh, and uh, the playoffs, once we get there at the end of April, will be 16 teams uh, instead of the usual 24. There are 30, maybe a little over 30 teams that have decided not to play at all this spring at, at the FCS level, so that's going to leave somewhere between, I think, 90 and 100 who are playing. Um, and, and and you talk to people in, in varying places, Tom, and there seems to be varying levels of interest among the schools themselves about whether they actually want to play in the spring or not. Some of them who are playing, we get word, are really not all that excited about it, would rather put all their focus to the fall. But I know at Furman, Clay Hendricks and his staff, man, they are ready to roll, and we get to see them on Saturday against Western Carolina at Paladin Stadium. Yeah, I think uh, the majority want to go ahead and play, and they have that that approach. You're going to take the precautions and everything, and if you don't want to play, then you don't you don't have to play. And some of that comes uh, at the upper level of the administration and what what they would uh, prefer and what they think is best for their university. But I think you're right, Dan, from the standpoint if your player and your your coaches and everything, uh, you you take all the protocols into consideration. You really really want to play because. You know, last year when it was shut down in, in March, baseball season, and nobody really knew how long it was going to be. And then all of a sudden, things, uh, you're not playing the NCAA basketball tournament. You have to do a lot of different things at a lot of different sports professionally. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting there going, who thought that you wouldn't play football? Uh, it, it, a lot of them went ahead and did, and we saw how that played out at the collegiate level. And and uh, But at, at the FCS level, very difficult from a financial standpoint to a certain extent to test all the time. I think some of that had to c- come into uh, consideration, but I think for the most part, those that can really want to, and what we've seen in basketball and the games that we've been able to do uh, since uh, they began playing again is, uh, I, I think it's really a greater appreciation. Most of us kind of like, well, we're on to the next game. Well, is there going to be a next game? So, uh, it'll be interesting. I think some some teams did get a chance to play and had that option to play and play three or four games maybe uh, back in the fall. And uh, I think a lot of the conversation has to do with do you want to play uh, now eight games and depending on how many, if you get into the playoffs, you do, and then you turn back around, you got to, you play again in uh, August and early September. Maybe some consideration there for the physical aspect. Yeah, and that's something I'm going to ask Coach Clay Hendricks about. We, we start uh, what's called Furman Football Mondays uh, today. By the time this show airs uh, in Abbeville, it, it'll already have been completed. But every Monday uh, during football season this spring at 1.30, we're going to do a live show with uh, Clay Hendricks that I'll be hosting. It'll air on Furman's Facebook page and, and the YouTube page if anybody wants to check it out. And, and, of course, it'll be archived there if you can't watch it live. 
But I'm going to ask him about that because you, you have seen some people uh, express concern and, and even some college players, Tom, express some concern about playing what could be, it, just taking a regular season into account, 20 games in the span of about nine months as opposed to playing 11 games in a regular season and having the full off season to go along with it. I, I have kind of mixed feelings about that concern. I know that football is a violent sport. I, I know that, that kids get hurt playing football. I, I, I understand that. But we're also talking about 18 to 22-year-old young men here and their ability to bounce back, their resiliency, I think is a lot better than we want to give them credit for sometimes. I'm going to be intrigued to see what Clay Hendricks has to say about that because I can just tell you from everything that I have seen, the players that I have talked to at Furman and the coaches I've talked to at Furman, the concern about playing that many games in nine months, if that's how it comes off, has not even come up. That they are excited about the opportunity to play football this spring. Um, you, you've heard some of the same concerns, I'm sure. What What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I think it's one of those situations where you haven't been through it before. You've been through, and again, I was fortunate to broadcast five national championship games at the Division II level. Those teams are playing 15, maybe to a certain extent, 16 games if you've got to play in the first round of the tournament. And that, that's a lot of games over that amount of time. And you hear all the conversations at, at the higher level about, you know, I don't want to play more games in, in the playoffs, add more games, things like that. Well, I've seen it at the Division II level. And you got to go on the road. I mean, sometimes you have to go on the road anyway. And, and every single situation I was in, those kids loved every minute of it because they had that opportunity. That, that's a lot of games uh, in, in that amount of time. Again, we're talking about the quick turnaround here. I don't think um, – nobody's been through this before, but from, I don't think it put anybody in harm's way in terms of the, uh, the physicality of it, in terms of trying to get anybody, if anybody gets hurt or how, how do you, they're just still trying to figure out how to do some things during this time. If in fact they do. And I think they would, they err on the side of caution in that regard, but you know, having been around it for several decades, they, they want to play. And uh, that's, that's kind of the bottom line for the players, I think, for the most part. And coaches want to coach, but I think you'll you'll make those kinds of decisions about how you want to go about it in the best way if, in fact, that uh, you do end up playing that, what, 20-some games maybe in that minimal amount of time. Yeah, and I want to be <clears throat> very careful about how I tread on, on th this next little thing I'm about to talk about here because I don't, I don't want to take us too far down a rabbit trail that, that's going to open up the proverbial can of worms. But having said that, here I go, right? Um, we have been privileged to one conversation, you and I together with someone. I, I have been privileged to a separate conversation with, with, with a journalist in another city who had, had made it known that a particular university <clears throat> does not really want to play this spring, but they're in a conference that's playing, so they have to. They have no interest in, in any kind of spring football playoff. They want to put everything, uh, all their eggs in the fall football basket. 
and, and they have actually postponed their first game using COVID as an excuse not to play the opening week of, of that particular FCS conference's football season. It, it, it has led to a, a lot of, I'm sure, internal conversations at the conference level, at the athletic director level, at the presidential level, Tom, all across the country uh, about what is best for the student-athlete, what can they do, what should they do. The bottom line, in my estimation, is if, if your conference says we're playing and you're a member of said conference, then you play. And, and, and if not, then there's got to be some kind of repercussions, don't you think? Well, yeah, I don't know how that plays out. You're, we're looking at across the country with uh, a lot of teams that, uh, and in some conferences, I guess it goes back to each individual conference and what kind of decisions they want to make in terms of requiring uh, their teams to participate. But we've seen some conferences that uh, some have opted out, some are going to go ahead and play, some are t- trying to, to, to find a, uh, a number of games that they can't play because the uh, respective uh, teams in the conference aren't going to play. Now, we saw that in the fall a little bit when some teams, I mean, in, in many cases, FCS level, they didn't want to play, they didn't, they didn't play, but they allowed other teams to go ahead and play some games if they could, could find them. So I think it comes back to the, the conference level. And, and yeah, what, let's say you don't want to play and that's a decision you can, you have to make at your university. Then uh, what does that mean for, the coming season or are there ramifications? I don't know. That's a, uh, an interesting dynamic when you, you think about, are you, are you going to play? Do you want to play? And, but I mean, if you're going to play and you're, you're, uh, you're, you're saying you are, then I think you need to play. Uh, and, 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 and then put yourself in the place of the teams in the MEAC, the, yeah, the, the, the Mid-East Med- Athletic Conference. Uh, mm-hmm. Just last week, you know, a little more than, than a week prior to the beginning of the FCS season, the MEAC conference says, you know what, we're not doing it. Now, they're leaving it up to the individual teams if they want to go out and try to schedule games yes. and continue to play. Yeah, that, that affects South Carolina State, which is you know right down the road from us in, in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and, and seven or eight other uh, schools that make up that conference. It's also an automatic bid to the FCS playoffs that now uh, will not be in play. It'll open up another at-large. But, I mean, just imagine making that decision this close to the season. They, they did it less than two weeks from kickoff, about 10 days, in fact, from what was supposed to be the kickoff of the FCS season. The conference said, you know what, we're not doing it. We are in unprecedented times, that's for sure. I mean, uh, that, that's definitely a difficult situation when you're, you've prepared all that time to go ahead and play, but – you know, sometimes, uh, and in many cases, the decisions are made above you, and then that's what the particular situation is in the MEAC, and that's what you that's what you got to go with right now. So I think just a lot of folks are just hoping to be able to play to begin with and then uh, not have it uh, interrupted during the course of the season because then you get into another scheduling situation and you know you look at in terms of the the southern conference in basketball and it looks like there's going to be a couple teams that may not be able to um get as many games in conference wise as as others are and they've come up with some tiebreakers and things like that to address the situation so 
Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I hate to use the term, it's a fluid situation, but it's it's uh, ever-changing, let's put it that way. Uh, seems like maybe on a daily basis. Well, I was just you know reading a, a story on the, the MEAC conference, the South Carolina State, for instance, was supposed to play this Saturday against Norfolk State, and they opted out of the season this week. And, and right now, the only other team that South Carolina State had officially on its schedule, North Carolina A&T, has decided it will not play this spring. So that leaves the Bulldogs and three other teams in, in the MEAC still looking for opponents to fill out a schedule at, at this late date and a kickoff that's supposed to happen on on Saturday. Um, I, I just I, I don't want to be overly critical, especially in a situation that, that I'm not privy to all of the elements that went into the decision-making. But the thing that, that does bother me is that, as you said a moment ago, players want to play. And, and these kids had their fall season taken away from them. And, and you lead them to believe that they're going to have a spring season and you prepare for a spring season and, and then a week prior, 10 days prior to that season kicking off, you decide to shut it down. Now, it, it may have been unavoidable. Again, I don't know all the details. I, I just I just pray that these schools aren't taking the easy way out because I, I think the kids have been through quite a bit and they deserve better than that if that's the case. What about from a financial standpoint? You're not going to be able to – get many fans in the stands and, either. And that, and maybe they that, take that a look at the bottom be, line and go, hey, you know. That could be the determining factor. The bottom line may be the bottom line. Because uh, a lot of these schools and let's take, just say FCS, and there are probably some at the Division One level as well, and we've seen many of them losing millions of dollars and what it costs for all the protocols uh, that you have to have. So, yeah, I mean, it, outside looking in, you can make some observations until you really know what the internal dynamics were. Well, and, and that's why I say I, I'm hesitant about being too critical uh, in, in a situation where I, where I don't know. Imagine that, a talk show host saying that he doesn't know something. You, you're listening down the road there. Um, but it, 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 it doesn't sit well with me from the standpoint that you've given these kids – this hope and you've told them they're going to play. And then after having the rug pulled out from under them in the fall, 10 days or less from the spring kickoff, the, the proverbial rug is pulled out from under them yet again. So I, that that's, it, it just doesn't sit well. I don't know all the reasons. I freely admit that. And, and there may be very legitimate reasons. And I would imagine Tom, that finances are probably the biggest one, it not because they're not going to have fans in stands by and large uh, to, to drive ticket revenue, which is basically all the revenue they get at schools that size. And the, the testing protocols are, are expensive. There's no question about that. So, so I get all that. I just wish somebody would come out and say that, if that's what it is. You wish mm -hmm. it, rather, rather than just making a, an announcement, we're not playing – and then sticking your head in the sand. Be honest. Open up. Why? Uh, I the fans of those schools. I'm sure the players probably know, but the people who are associated with those schools, they they need to know. So, I wonder if you could, have, if you've known that earlier, 
could you made some decisions on going someplace to have a chance to play? And I, I think in terms of, I do the uh, high school uh, television games on Friday night for my 40 out of, out of Asheville. And we saw that in the fall where South Carolina teams played. North Carolina public schools didn't play. North Carolina private schools were allowed to play. And we saw uh, some, some young men from different states just transfer in, change schools, because in specific states, North Carolina public, they weren't able to play this past fall. They wanted to play and maybe showcase themselves and have an opportunity for somebody to see them, get a scholarship, things like that, and then transferred to, to some schools in, in South Carolina, for example, and then North Carolina high schools. They're going to start playing uh, the public high schools anyway on February 26th, which is unprecedented from a high school level as well. So there are a lot of moving parts when, when it comes to that. And saw it kind of play out a little bit in terms of some, some young men that were transferring uh, because they didn't play in the fall to have a chance to get, get seen and maybe get a chance to play at the collegiate level. Yeah. And, and look, uh, we, we've got to get to a break and get ready for Dave Glenn, but you know, working at Furman university, I, you know, I am privy to uh, not, every insider conversation, but uh, I am in, you know, at, at least one particular meeting every week uh, of the group of people that, that kind of run the logistics of what goes on uh, on campus from an athletic standpoint, uh, th those of us who have uh, interaction with the public. A and re revenue ha has been almost non-existent, and, and that's not a secret. Uh, our athletic director, Jason Donnelly, has talked about that. So I, I understand that money is an issue. Just the fact that Furman announced this week that they're going to let season ticket holders into the first football game because of the, the COVID numbers having dropped to the level they've dropped to means that we're going to have, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500 people in, in a 16,000-seat stadium, but that's better than the maybe 100 or 150 we were expecting to have had that not happened. And that's a little bit of revenue, a little bit of help, but it's a far cry from what you normally expect on a football Saturday. So I, so I get all of that. I understand. I'm just one of those guys, and maybe I'm different. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big boy. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Just tell me the truth. You know, tell, you tell, tell me why, and, and then let me process. I may not agree with it, but at least you're being upfront with me. I don't know. Yeah, there are a lot of decisions that uh, that administrators have to make that are tough, tough calls that nobody's ever been uh, placed in a, in a situation where they've had to make those kinds of decisions. I don't think there's any, uh, so you want to be an athletic director yeah. <laughs> book, you know, that had a chapter on this. So. And you know, you know what else hasn't happened? N none of these people involved in these high ranking decisions across the country have called me for my opinion either. Well, that's true. So, that's true. <laughs> so you probably you, won't. No, so you, you can, <laughs> ascertain what you want from that let's take a break we'll come back dave glenn will join us on the other side we'll get his thoughts on uh, many things i'm sure as the uh, dan scott show and grumpy old broadcasters podcast continues in just a moment All right, we are back and continuing to roll on here on this Monday is the Dan Scott Show slash 
episode 26 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I'm Dan. Tom Van Hoy is here. And, of course, after uh, our week sabbatical, back with us live is the only guest I have who has ever had his own constant theme song that we played for his appearances and continue to do so. He is Dave Glenn, the founder of accsports.com and uh, now Professor Glenn, as well as a writer for The uh, Athletic and The Athletic Subside Athletic Carolinas. David, how you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. Great to be with you and Tom again, as always. You know, your resume is 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 so long and so varied, I'm, I'm having trouble with the introduction. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Song. <laughs> I made it past 50 years old without having a resume as an adult, and yeah. I, w- I would joke about that, and I was kind of pr- proud about it. Uh, but I- in more recent times, I have had to come up with one, and – I, it's really interesting to squeeze it all onto kind of an eight and a half by 11 format because I've been a lot of places, done a lot of things, yeah. and hard to summarize all of them concisely. From Natchez to Mobile, Memphis to St. Joe, wherever yeah. the four winds blow, right? <laughs> <laughs> don't make us sing for this audience. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah we, we don't, we don't want to do that. But it, it is kind of interesting, and I know Tom would kind of would feel the same way. You've been in this business long enough. And you look at that eight by eleven sheet, and, and you know, okay, this is my life here on one sheet of paper, to to a certain extent, anyway. It's really weird too, because as I have been making some interesting career decisions, if someone wants an editor, I have to draw up my resume one way. If somebody wants an attorney, I have to draw it up an entirely different way. If someone wants a university professor, I have to draw it up a third way. If someone wants a writer, it's a fourth way. If someone wants a radio guy, it's a fifth way. So I went from no resumes to probably five or six out of necessity here lately. He's the skyline chili of, uh, of resumes, <laughs> two-way, three-way, four-way, five-way. That's exactly right. So. You can get your hash browns a lot of different ways at the Waffle House, too. (laughs) Say, Dan, there's a lot of things I want to leave off of my resume, those (laughs) those years at Burger Chef and things like that. (laughs) Hey, I have some of those jobs from way back in the day. Oh, man. Pepsi Warehouse was one. I worked at Burger King. I worked at Kmart for a little while. So, yeah, those have been left off for some time. I'm I'm a McDonald's guy. I, I, I did a summer at McDonald's, so, yeah. And, and you know it's interesting, Dave. But we're laughing about it. But it's true. When 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 uh, I updated my resume a, a few years ago and, and got it to kind of where it is now, um, you know, eleven years of my professional life are now one single entry, and that was the eleven years I spent as a, a sports editor and a sports writer. You know, so instead of listing every individual paper and and the years I was there, you know, it, it's it's from from this date to this date sports editor at various newspapers and then you know kind of listen to some of the accomplishments under that 11 years of your life is is now suddenly down to to one entry in about three lines you and i are at similar stages of life and i have gone through that very similar process where freelance writing for example if i listed them all there might be 50 different outlets for which I have been a freelance writer over the last 30 plus years. So you narrow it down, you point out the highlights and yeah, it it is, um, it's humbling to realize that a whole lot of grinding can be boiled down into a sentence or less. 
I, I think Tom probably has the best scenario of all of us. The only resume that he has to worry about is his wife's. <laughs> and and, and yes. as, as, as long as as long as hers is good and, and she's doing what she's doing, he can keep doing what he's doing, right, Tom? That's right. I can tag along anywhere, guys. So, <laughs> uh, hey, I respect that. My wife was a pharmaceutical sales rep for a long time. So, as a very young married man, my wife was bringing home the bacon way better than I was. Well, <laughs> and I was just following her lead. I've got spam. I don't have any bacon. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom and I, when we were doing Clemson baseball, we would travel sometimes with uh, a gentleman by the name of Sack Bagley, who was a retired educator, and, and he did the official scorekeeping for for Clemson. And uh, his wife Betty uh, was still working as a superintendent in one of the local school districts here. And Sack would always say, "Now he'd never say this where she could hear him." But he'd always say, because he was retired and she wasn't, it's a sorry woman that can't take care of one good man. <laughs> um, that sounds like a country song right there. Yeah, yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> and and uh, it, it's I'll say this, it's a statement not endorsed by any of the three men who are on this podcast right now. <laughs> but I'm just, just kind of throwing that out there. Hey, Dave, Tom and I spent uh, most of the first segment talking about the FCS football season that's going to play in the spring. And I think somewhere between 95 and 100 of the FCS schools are playing, 30-plus have decided not to. Uh, the MEAC schools, just within the last uh, three or four days, uh, th their conference has said they're not playing, and so they've left some schools scrambling. A lot goes into the decision-making, but the one thing that drives the – FBS level that does not drive the FCS level so much, or or at least in the same way, because revenue drives everybody. But when it came to decision making for the fall for the Power Five conferences, especially, I, I don't want to say they didn't have a choice, but they almost didn't have a choice. They had to play, didn't they? I think that's a good way of putting it. And remember, even after the Big Ten and the Pac-12 had originally said they were not going to go through with that fall football season. They reconsidered after, I guess, some trend lines with COVID got a little bit better, but after the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 said they were moving forward. I flash back, Dan, to the Knight Commission, uh, which is a governing body that doesn't have official power but studies college sports and trends. And a few years ago, they came up with some numbers where FBS schools, for example, carried $9 billion plus in athletics-related debt, more than $9 billion collectively. There's more than 100 FBS football-playing schools. That's, of course, debt related to when you renovate your stadium or uh, you renovate your weight room, any of those infrastructure-type investments, and sometimes to pay highly compensated coaches. But when you have uh, a revenue shortfall as an athletic department related, remember, to last spring, and everybody, I think, by now knows that football pays the large majority of the bills with men's basketball a distant second at most schools. If you're carrying $9 billion plus in athletics-related debt, and they couldn't even get their hands on all the private school numbers, so that left out some of the big private schools that play football as well, that means they estimated that you owe more than $700 million a year, again, that's collectively, just to finance your debt. That's, that's before you pay any coaches or any of your annual expenses. Mm. So, yes, it's a big money industry, 
But like a lot of big money industries, it's complicated. And it's not just, you know, bags of money in the backyard or a money tree that you pluck off dollar bills as if they were leaves, you know, that fall every autumn. It's a tricky situation. And there was no way these FBS football playing schools could follow up the shortfalls financially of spring 2020 with a missed football season in fall 2020. Uh, they still didn't make nearly as much money, as you all know, without ticket sales or at least reduced ticket sales. Uh, but they still got that TV money. And the TV money has become a bigger and bigger portion of the entire pie uh, in our time together over several decades. And I think the other thing that, that we learned from the FBS season, and, and even before that, going back to the 60-game uh, shortened Major League Baseball season, David, it is it can be done. Uh, they, they were treading into unknown territory uh, for the large part, but they found out that it could be done. And, you know, so maybe maybe college athletics, maybe college football took its cue from what they saw Major League Baseball do. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but at least they had some precedent to follow where Major League Baseball didn't. They were kind of setting the precedent as they went on. Yeah, college uh, decision makers knew that they would not be able to create the pure bubble scenario, right? These are not professional athletes, they're students, but you could control a lot of aspects of their environment and you could ask them uh, to limit their interaction with other people. And for example, as we speak, you know, there are college basketball players that haven't seen their families for six months and haven't seen their friends very often in that time either. So it's a semi-bubble, if you will. But when the NFL went through a very successful season, and prior to that, when these decisions had to be made last summer, there were success stories in baseball, in the National Hockey League, in the soccer world, where closer to pure bubbles were successful. And remember back then we talked about improving testing as well. So instead of just flying blind, if you will, they were getting to the point where the tests were better and more accurate. You'd get the test results more quickly than a few months before. And all of the changing science and the changing details made it more possible as that ultimate decision came about in what, you know, you had to make a decision by late July. And by that point, some aspects of the picture were a little bit more positive in part because of those examples from the professional world that you were talking about. Dave, if the reporting is correct, there weren't many FBS schools that were making money anyway prior to all of this going on. And I don't know if some of that had to do with keep up with the Joneses, the infrastructure, yeah. the stadiums, got to recruit and things like that. But I mean, how eye-opening experience is this if they were treading on that thin profit line anyway to begin with? Two things there, Tom, and it's a great question, and it's hard to summarize the answer, but if you looked at 100-plus FBS football-playing schools, you would have both, and I don't know this number off the top of my head, but you would have both a dozen-plus programs at the top who not only turned profits, but turned, holy cow, wow, profits that pay for a lot of things, including maybe the down years that the same athletic department might have somewhere along the way. But you'd have the huge profits in limited numbers, smaller profits in significant numbers, 
And then certainly the majority of teams overall do lose money, even in the big money sport of football. Part of that, though, and this is part two of the question, unlike professional sports, where maximizing your profit is at least one of your main goals, right? If you and I owned a private business, we want to increase revenue, we want to reduce expenses to the lowest possible place without hurting revenue, and we want to maximize that profit. In college athletics, which is a nonprofit entity, when they make more money, they spend more money by design. So when you have a great year, rather than treating that surplus the way you and I might with our privately owned business, they have an incentive as a nonprofit to redo the weight room, upgrade the facilities, keep your expenses high, because if you made too many huge profits in a row, at some point you stop looking like a nonprofit organization. So you'll notice when you do the deeper dives into college athletic department finances, one of the reasons on paper they show more losses than I think a a private industry on paper analysis would show is that they have a massive incentive to spend as much as they make. And that distorts the numbers in a lot of ways. Which all makes perfect sense. I think the thing going back to the, the beginning of all of this, that, that, that I I, want to say it threw me. And and then on the other hand, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I was a little bit, especially some of the larger schools and the larger conferences, you know, we saw so many schools, David, that were having to take out loans to, yep. to, to cover things. And, and I was just a little surprised that schools that are major, major schools and major conferences playing big time college athletics, that more of them didn't have an emergency contingency fund that, 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 that could sustain them through something like this, that, that literally like you said, everything that came in was going back out and, and there was nothing in the coffers for an emergency. That, that kind of threw me a little bit. Yeah, the, the structure varies a little bit school by school, but uh, it's the, the wealthier schools sometimes do things that protect themselves against a downturn. For example, Stanford, which is not always viewed as the most successful in football and men's basketball, as an entire athletic department, Stanford is probably the most consistently successful in the entire country. And they've raised so much money at what is also a prestigious university, obviously outside of the athletics comment context, that they will endow the cost of their head coach. They'll endow the cost of their offensive coordinator. They're in, they'll endow, that means as an athletic department, they have saved so much money that the, the, the saved money spits out annual proceeds that are enough to pay for the volleyball coach and the women's basketball coach and the swimming coach and the track coach. If you get to the point where you can endow with booster and other contributions revenue, you've protected yourself against the downside. But they're the exception. And for the most part, at, the, at most schools, because of the financial issues Tom and I were talking about, you just don't have that ability to cushion the blow. And you're going to be turning to somebody at some schools, at most of the smaller 
FBS football playing schools, you might be surprised how much student fees pay for the athletic department. In other words, you got tuition, you got room and board, and like mo- many bills that all of us might get, you know, your, your monthly phone or cable bill, there's all these weird extra charges. Well, at many universities, the student fee is one of those weird extra charges, and a big chunk of that, depending on the school, goes to athletics. So it's, it's student fees subsidizing these things. It's booster clubs that are turned to at times of, you know, you need the big buyout in a year where you just don't have a lot of cash laying around in the athletic department. You ask some of your mega donors to step up and pay that $10 million buyout so that it's not coming off of your books the same traditional way that it would. So it gets complicated, uh, but you're right. It's not such a wealthy industry that it just has the pile of money waiting for that rainy day. And even the school you used as an example, Stanford, cut how many sports right this, this spring right. uh, because of this tom you want to flip it over to uh, basketball sure sure you think uh florida state can win their 24th at home in the acc tonight against virginia that's going to be a heck of a game uh those are the two best teams in this league at least for now and they're carrying the torch for a conference that usually has five or six teams you know in the in the national top 25 and lately it's been lucky to have two. Uh, So those are great basketball teams, you know, maybe not great by traditional ACC standards, but if you listed the best offenses in this league, I think the Seminoles would be first and and UVA would be in the running for second. And if you listed the best defenses in this league, UVA would be first and the Seminoles would be in the run running for second. So there are well-rounded and well-coached teams That is as close, you know, many years we talk about Duke Carolina as must-see TV for ACC men's basketball. I think this year it's Florida State against Virginia that is must-see TV. And and guys, I mentioned this before we started the show, but right now when you look at bracketology, whether you like UVA's chances in the long run or Florida State's or maybe somebody else's, the last time the ACC did not have a one seed or a two seed in the NCAA tournament was 1990. That was 31 years ago. UVA is currently projected as a three seed, Florida State below that. So it's a weird year. Now, and I'm, I'm happy to celebrate and talk about the Cavaliers or the Seminoles, but it is a weird year for this league. There's only five or six projected right now to make the NCAA tournament. And this is a league that had nine a couple years recently out of a 15-team league. So I still think there are a half a dozen or more interesting stories worth following from the Atlantic Coast Conference. And I absolutely agree that it starts with UVA and Florida State. By the way, while you were talking, of course, for us it's breaking news. It will have already hit by the time uh, this show airs, uh, beginning at 5 o'clock down in Abbeville and the podcast drops. But while you were talking, we just got a notice from the Atlantic Coast Conference that the uh, Wednesday Clemson-Notre Dame basketball game has been postponed because of another COVID issue in the Clemson basketball program, which is a shame because after Brad Brownell's team got got hit the first time and it took them a while to get their sea legs back, they've been playing some really good basketball. They really have, and unlike some of these other teams, I mean, would you believe Carolina near the bubble? Mm -hmm. If you looked for the Tar Heels' best victory 
you can't really say it's that win at Duke because Duke's not an NCAA tournament team right now. You can't say it's beating Syracuse because Syracuse is not an NCAA tournament team right now. You can't say it's beating Kentucky because the Wildcats have struggled. Uh, the Tar Heels beat Stanford of the Pac-12. They're a, a solid team, but I don't think they're a guaranteed NCAA tournament team. And I mention that because in contrast, whatever the Clemson Tigers do the rest of the way, they beat Alabama, which is a really good team. They beat mm. Purdue and Maryland, which are two NCAA tournament-worthy teams from the Big Ten. They also beat Florida State. They also beat Louisville, two sure-thing NCAA tournament teams, I think, from the ACC. They beat Carolina. They beat Syracuse. They beat Georgia Tech. Those are three ACC teams that would, you know, are near the bubble right now or outside of it but they're pretty solid basketball teams that might make a run to March Madness. So the Tigers have more money in the bank, if you will. Uh, whereas some of these other bubble teams, man, in part because the ACC doesn't have as much depth as it usually has, when you start looking for your best wins, you better have beaten UVA or Florida State, maybe Virginia Tech, Louisville, and then after that it becomes Clemson and UNC, and that's about it. Nobody else in this league outside those top six is projected into the big dance right now. And that complicates the resume building for all the others. It has certainly been a strange, strange year on multiple levels. Dave, we're right up against the clock. So tell everybody how they can keep up with the multiple things your resume say you're doing now. Yes, sir. Uh, on Twitter, we're at David Glenn Show. Always having a lot of fun there. Uh, teaching at UNC Wilmington. I'm having a blast in Seahawk country with a lot of bright young minds. And as you mentioned, I'm always going to be affiliated with uh, accsports.com. And more recently, over these last four years, with theathletic.com and the subsite The Athletic Carolina. Always fun to start my week with you boys. I hope you have a good one. Same Me with too. you. All right, we will step aside, take a break, and come back and put a quick wrap on this one in just a moment. Don't go away. Well, it has been good to get back in the saddle after a, a week away, and uh, we're back with just enough time to say goodbye. Our thanks to Dave Glenn, as always, Tom Van Hoy for uh, – his faithfulness and uh, the good stuff. Hope you enjoyed the conversations. If if you have um, and, and like what you're hearing on the program, we just invite you, if you're a podcast listener, share the podcast, help us grow that audience. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we say it and you probably just hear us say it and say, well, other people are doing it. We need you to do it. You who are driving in your car right now, you who are listening to it uh, in, in your office, perhaps. We need you to share it and help us get the word out. Comment, interact with us, let us know. If you're listening on WZLA in Abbeville, Mondays from 5 to 6, you need to let Benji Greason know that you enjoy the program because we enjoy doing it and we want to be here for the long term. Don't forget, the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza, T-O-D-A-R-O Pizza.com is the website. You can find out all the uh, menu operating hours and good stuff there for both the Markley Street Greenville location and the Clemson location as well on Sloan Street. We will be back with you again next time. Looking forward to it. Another podcast slash show coming up next Monday. Until then, have yourself a great week. I'm going to be busy and I'm loving it. Thank God that I'm in a 
job that I love and that we've got some opportunities to work. We'll see you again next time. Until then, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody. Thank you.